we're in week two of the book of Daniel in your Bible, the man Daniel. If you know about it, um, it's, the, it's the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, and we're kind of just walking through this book, learning some things about how to stand firm and love well in a culture of compromise. That's what we're trying to do. And so last week, we, we learned that, that culture's greatest goal is to change your identity, is to change who you are to get you off track, to get you believing something about yourself that's not true, to get you away from what God has for you. And what we learned is that we can stand firm and love well in the culture of compromise by, uh, through grace and truth, right? Those two things. We can, we can do it by grace and truth. So last week, we learned the culture wants to change your identity, but this week, we're learning that culture wants to change your mentality. How you think how you perceive things, how you live your life, how do you see God, how do you respond to God, all of these things that culture's just constantly throwing at you. It wants to change your identity. And here's the truth, is that we either set culture or we reflect the culture. I'll say it this way. You're either a thermostat or a thermometer, and there's some thermometers you don't want to be. You, you can figure those out on your own, which ones you don't want to be, but yet there's some out there. You don't want to be that, right? So we're supposed to set the culture, though. Hey, we're Christians. We're believers. We're not supposed to be go out there bashing people and hating people. We're supposed to set the culture with truth and grace. We're supposed to be the example. We're supposed to love people well. And, and here's how we do it. We, we do it um, because God has called us to be the salt of the earth, and salt makes things better. And just put a little bit of salt on it. It'll make it better. But he also says in Matthew 5, 16, that we're supposed to be the light of the world, which makes things brighter. So he calls us to be better and brighter. That's what he wants us to do in this life. And it kind of reminds me, doing those two things reminds me of a, a story I heard recently about old Boudreaux. And uh, I love Boudreaux. And this is as good a time as any to laugh because there might not be a lot of laughter in today's message. Um, but Boudreaux, he finally got his own thermos. You know what a thermos is? It's a thermos. But in, in Louisiana, they call it a thermos. The Cajuns say it's a thermos. And so Boudreaux went to work with his new thermos. And, and Thibodeau saw it. He said, hey, what that is? And Boudreaux said, this a thermos. And he sa Thibodeau said, what do it do? And Boudreaux said, well, the hot stay hot and the cold stay cold. Thibodeau's mind is blown. He's like, well, how do it know? <laughs> Boudreaux said, I, it just know. I don't know, it just know. Well, later on, Thibodeau, man, his mind is blown. He can't imagine that this keeps hot things hot and cold things cold. He says, well, what you got in the thermos? He said, I got a bowl of gumbo and two popsicles. Yeah, old Boudreaux, he was, he was struggling a little bit. But, but really, that's what God calls us to do both things, kind of like Boudreaux thought. I can put hot and cold in here at the same time. He calls us to do both things and to do them well and to love people. And he says we're not supposed to retreat from the world. Hey, we're, we're here in the world, y'all. We're not going to go hide in a quarter somewhere. We're supposed to stand firm, love well. And Jesus said it this way in John chapter 17. He says, my prayer is that you not take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. 
Hey, you're going to have to go to school tomorrow. You're going to have to go to work tomorrow. You're going to have to flip through channels later on tonight. And, and hey, that, the, the world's evil. Come on, there's things that happen to us and, and happen in front of us, and we see things. Hey, don't take them out of the world, Father, but protect them from it because they're not of the world even as I'm not of the world. So my message real quick, what I want you to get is that it is possible for you to be in the world, having influence on the world, but for you to not be of the world. Setting the culture, setting the culture, not of the world, but having an influence and an impact on the world. So what I want to do today is I want to expose the number one thing that I believe is behind all of the sin, all of the separation from God, and we want to call it the Babylon mentality. The Babylon mentality. Remember, we're in the book of Daniel, and the book of Daniel is set in a geographic location called Babylon. Or Babylonia. We call it Babylon. But it is the same dirt, the same location as Iraq. The same place, different name, thousands of years ago. And it's, it's the same place. But my proposal to you today is that, that Babylon is not a locality. It's a mentality. It's a way of thinking. And it has a lot to do with pride and self-righteousness. In fact, what I want to do is... I want to help you have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 11 says, has nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. What I want to help you do is expose them today. To expose those things in your life. So I want to help you see how Satan operates. And if we can expose his lies, if we can expose the, the things that he's trying to do in our lives, then maybe we won't be as likely to fall for those things. If we know his, if his tactic, right? If we know what he's up to, if we know the punch he's about to throw, hey, I can go the other way because we know his tactics. And his tactics go all the way back to the first book of the Bible, to the book of Genesis, where he shows up as a serpent in the Garden of Eden, and he tries to convince Adam and Eve that God is a mean God, and he doesn't want you to eat from the fruit in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because he knows that you'll become like him. That was the lie, he said. Oh, you won't die. He just doesn't want you to have any fun. He doesn't want you to eat from that tree because he knows you'll become like God. And so what Satan was saying is, hey, God doesn't care about you. God is not for you. God, God is all about himself. That's why he doesn't want you to eat from that tree. But hey, look at me. I'm all about you. I care about you. That was the lie of the enemy. I'm, I'm for you. you. You just need to listen to me. Let me give you a little nudge. Well, that was Genesis and then if you go a few chapters further, the same book, you read about the story of the Tower of Babel, where this group of people, this nation, decided they were going to build a tower to the heavens, and they were already doing a pretty good job. And God notices it. He sees the unity that they have among this thing, and he says, we've got to disrupt this, because if they can do this, they'll do anything. They'll do anything. So he, goes, he comes down, and, and he sees these people working, and look at what they're saying. They're saying, hey, come let us build ourselves a city. It's all about me. Let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for who? Ourselves. I, you know, I want to be great. I want people to know my name. I want people to know 
oh, he had something to do with that. Oh, look at how he did that thing. And, and so, make a name for myself. Well, they're leaving God out of it. They've left him to the side. They didn't include God in any part of this, and they just they set out to make themselves great. Move forward a few verses to verse 9, and it says that God had came down and he confused their languages, and this is why it was called Babel, because the Lord confused their language, the language of the whole world. The, the word Babel here actually means confusion. He, can, he confused their language, and it's, it's this kind of deranged way of thinking that leads to confusion and chaos in our lives. You ever met somebody and you thought, he's crazy. <laughs> they, they might have the Babylon mentality, I'm just saying. I, I don't, it's a, it's a co- corrupt, confused, deranged way of thinking. And I'm telling you that if you follow any other way than God's way, it's going to lead to chaos in your life. It's going to lead to confusion. And I, I believe that we're living in a time of confusion and chaos in America today. This Babylon mentality has crept in. Just in the last few months here in the state of Texas, we have seen deranged gunmen go into public places and mow people down for no logical reason. That's the Babylon mentality creeping in, deranged way of thinking that leads you into insanity, into chaos, into into this uh, confusion in your life. And and in the middle of that, we say, where is God? It confuses us. We want to know, where's God in all of this? He's right over here where we left him. He's right where we left him. Listen, this is what happens when we uninvite God into every part of our life. You can come here to church on Sunday, God, but don't, don't mess with me on Monday. Don't mess with me on the rest of the week. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's this, we, we've separated ourselves from God, and he's right where we left him. I want to suggest that maybe you're saved. Maybe you're serving God. Maybe you're not living in Babylon anymore, but maybe Babylon is still living in you. Maybe it's still inside of you. Maybe there's still a little bit of that confusion and chaos. So today we want to identify it. We're going to uproot it in the name of Jesus. We're going to say it does not belong. It has no authority. It has no place in our lives. Amen? Amen. So it appears in the first book of the Bible in in Genesis. Then you go to the last book of the Bible in Revelation. It appears there. It says, the name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great the mother of prostitutes and the abomination of the earth. So in other words, everything ungodly, everything immoral is coming out of this mentality. All the sin, all the separation from God. And then, not only is it in the first book of the Bible and the last book of the Bible, it's all throughout the Bible, but you find it again in Isaiah chapter 47, right in the middle of your Bible. And if you were reading your Bible, you would see a heading there that probably says the fall of Babylon or something like that. This is talking about Babylon. It says, now then listen, you lover of pleasure. That's the Babylon mentality. Oh, it's all about what feels right and what feels good and lounging in your security. Man, I don't need anything. I don't need God. Look what I've done myself. Saying to yourself, I am. And there is none besides me. I am, and there's none besides me. It says, I will never be a widow. This is the mentality. I won't suffer loss. 
But listen, both of these will overtake you in a moment on a single day. Loss of children and widowhood. They come on you in full measure in spite of your sorceries, your potent spells. You've trusted in your wickedness, your way. You've had it your way. Burger King, you've had it your way, right? You've said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and knowledge mislead you, and you say to yourself, I don't need God. I am, and there is no one like me. Selfies, right? We're talking about, we're talking about that selfie generation, like, like oh, it's just all about me. There's, there's none but me. That's Babylon's motto, y'all. Babylon mentality motto is this, I am and there is none besides me. It's all about me, what I want, what I need. And listen to me, this mentality, the, the, the root of it all is self-righteousness and pride. It's, self-righteousness is when you say, man, we, we, we don't really have any needs like like." You know, our finances are good. We make enough money. Like, we live in a great house. Cars are paid for. You know, neither one of us are addicted. Like, kids are in good shape. Wait, we're good. We don't need, what do we need God for? Like, what do I need to be saved from when my life is so good? I, I can't see that need. Pride says, look at what I've done. Look at what I've created. Look at how I have made this marvelous thing. It's all about me. It's look at what I have accomplished. And, and what the Babylon mentality does is it elevates self. It elevates self. Number one, it, it's all about self-adoration, self-adoring. Oh, look, look, look at me. Look at how I've done these things. There's no one besides me. It's seeking compliments and satisfaction from other people. So I was thinking as I prepared the message about songs that I grew up on. And uh, if we just change the words a little bit, well, we could make them about ourselves, right? So you might remember this song. Uh, Lord, I lift my name on high. Lord, I love to sing my praises. I'm so glad I'm in my life. I'm so glad I came to save us. Or, or this one. We just sing about this one. Um, I am so good. I am so good. I am so good. I'm so good to you. Right? Or, or maybe there was this one. Um, let's see. Uh, there is none like me. No one else can touch my heart like I do. And I could search for all eternity long and find. There is none like me. That's that's kind of the that's kind of the thing about 
self-adoring. What's this? It's all about me. It's about what I need. There's self-building, right? There's this mentality that I can do it without God. I don't really need God's help. God, I'm going to live my life how I want to live it. And if there's an emergency, if there's this time where I need you, hey, I know you're just a phone call away. I'll, I'll let you know. And, and this is the reason why during moments of prosperity in the land, the church is typically empty. But in moments of tragedy like 9-11, it's full. People want to know, like, there's something greater than me. There's something bigger than me out there. But it's those moments of tragedy that, unfortunately, are the things that draw us back. They're, the other thing is self-indulging. Like, if it feels good, do it. Right? If it feels, if it feels good, just do it. How could a loving God tell me that something that feels so good is wrong? Like how, why, how could he do that? So it elevates self. I'm just going to do it my way. Self-indulging. But the other thing that this mentality does is that it lowers God. It lowers God. It says, hey, God isn't, God doesn't love me. If he loved me, then he would give me everything I asked. If he loved me, then why do I feel this way? If he loved me, then why am I going through the things that I'm going through? God isn't for me. If he was, for, if he was really for me, then, then I wouldn't be dealing with the things that I'm dealing with right now. Or God, God wants too much from me. Like he, he, wants, he wants me to, you know, my time, my talent, and my treasure. He wants me to serve him with my, my time, take time out of the week to go to church and to serve him on the dream team and use my gifts and help make a difference financially. He just wants too much. Lower, lower God. Hey, we, we don't need that. We don't. But that's what the Babylon mentality says. So, we're calling it out. We're saying no more, no more pride, no more self-righteousness, no more elevating self and lowering God in Jesus' name. And this is a mentality that can creep into all of us. So check it out. We see it in none other than King Nebuchadnezzar. He's, he's the one who captured Jerusalem, captured uh, the children of Israel, the Hebrews. And if you don't know the story, he exiled them to the land of Babylon. Okay, he, he, he raided their nation, took them captives, and forced them all to come, except for a few, all to come to, uh, to Babylon. So he's the one responsible for them being exiled in the first place. And this is his story in Daniel chapter 4. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented. Notice those words, contented and prosperous. I didn't need anything. My life was good. I, without God, man, I, I just had everything that I could want. I, life was, I'm fine. And then the Bible says he has a dream. And for the sake of time, I'm going to paraphrase and just tell you the dream. And, and then we'll get back on track into the scripture. But the, the dream went like this. The scripture says in Daniel that he dreamed that there was this tall tree that went and nearly touched the heavens. It was so massive. It was large. And its branches hung out over Babylon. And on the branches were fruit everywhere. I mean, it was just a fruitful tree. Lush and green and plump. Man, this was a beautiful tree. But then an angelic messenger came from heaven and said, Cut the tree down, but leave the stump and the roots. And also, 
the man that this tree represents is going to go through a time of insanity. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar woke up, and he didn't know what the dream meant. He's, he's kind of in shock. He calls for the magicians. He calls for the enchanters. He calls for the, the uh, wise men, and none of them can tell him what the dream means. And then he remembers Daniel. He's worked with Daniel. He, he remembers Daniel because Daniel has already interpreted dreams for him. He knows that God has given him this ability to interpret dreams. He, Daniel comes onto the scene, and with boldness and courage, he stands firm, and he loves well, and he looks the king in the eyes, and he says, You, O king, are the tree. This statement could have gotten Daniel killed. I mean, you don't just walk up to the king and say, Yeah, you're, you're the bad guy. You don't do that. But with, because Daniel had this grace and truth about him. He says, you're the, you're the tree, O king. And it goes on to say in, in verses 25 and 26 that you're going to be driven from the people and live with wild animals and eat grass like the ox, and you're going to be drenched with dew of heaven. And he's talking about the, the upcoming insanity. Remember, the angel told him about there's, this tree represents, uh, the, the person this tree represents is going to be driven to insanity. Daniel's telling him this is what's going to happen. Because the Babylon mentality causes confusion. It causes insanity. So he says, seven times will pass for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of the earth. The, the command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored. It's coming back to you, king. But only when, what? You acknowledge that, say it with me, heaven rules. Only then. It's going to take you seven years, by the way. <laughs> seven years to acknowledge that heaven rules. And I love how God leaves the stump and he leaves the roots. What he's saying here is there's going to be a second chance for you. God's going to give you a second chance. There's some of you here today, you're in this room, and you need to know today's your second chance. Today, God's giving you a chance for your life to be restored. God's given you a chance to come back to him, to acknowledge him, to acknowledge that heaven rules in your life. Today is your chance. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar didn't listen. He ignored Daniel's wisdom, Daniel's advice. And 12 months later, the Bible says he was walking out on the roof of his palace. And he was admiring all that he created. King Nebuchadnezzar is credited for engineering and creating the hanging gardens of Babylon. It's one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was a big deal, and he's credited for doing that. So I imagine that he's just walking out on his balcony. He's walking on the roof of his palace, and he sees what he's created. And he, and he says, look at what I've created for my majesty. And at that moment, the Bible says that, that he was driven from people to the wilderness and began to live like a wild animal, eating grass and living in the dew of heaven for seven years. Now, dude, this is deep, Ben. What, what are you doing? What, what, what's this all about, man? You're supposed to be encouraging us, right? I'm going to encourage you in just a second. We're going to get there, but i got to tell you the story. It, is, are you following me? Is it good? Okay. So he... So he's driven from, from humanity, and he's, he's driven insane. But check this out. I want you to hear this. Then, seven years later, 
he writes down his testimony, in other words. He writes his story down, and it's also recorded in Daniel chapter 4, and it says this, that at, the, at that time, at the end of the seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes where? Toward heaven. And my sanity was restored. How about that? Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him. In other words, I gave my life to Jesus. I surrendered my life to God. I, I told him that I was going to follow him. I'm going to serve him. I don't know about this, but I wonder, will we see King Nebi up in heaven? I don't know. I, I don't know. It sounds to me like he put his trust in God. And it says that I praised the Most High, gave him thanks. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say, what, are you, what have you done? Nobody can say that. And at that time, when I acknowledged that he was the one who ruled, my sanity was restored. My honor and splendor were returned. Can I just tell you that, that God doesn't mind you having honor and splendor as long as it's not his honor and his splendor? He's, a, he's okay with you having great things and a great life and God like being blessed. He's okay with that as long as, as, long as you don't take the credit for it. As long as you don't say, look what I have done. He's okay with it. And, and my, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of, of my kingdom. And my advisors and my nobles sought me out. They came looking for me. And I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. And I love this. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, look, before it was all about me. Before, it was all about what I wanted. Before, it was elevating self, and it was lowering Daniel's God. But now, I praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. What does that mean? He gives us three keys right there. Right there. Three keys if we're going to stand firm and love well in culture, if we're going to avoid the Babylon mentality, we've got to do three I wills, three things. Now, many times, I will statements are statements of pride and self-arrogance and self-righteousness. But these I will statements are all about God. Other I will statements are like, I will be great. I will sit enthroned. I will be honored. Not these statements. They're a little bit different. It takes the focus off of us and on to God. And so here's what we've got to do. Number one, I will exalt God. King Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, before I was ruthless, I, I was a bad guy, I admit it. But now I praise and exalt the God of heaven, the King of heaven. I will exalt God, not just on somebody, not, not, not just on Sunday, y'all. Not just today. I'm going to exalt him Monday through Saturday. I'm going to exalt him in every part of my life. I'm going to live my life for him, praising and exalting him. I'm going to make Jesus famous in every part of my life. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but there is some exaltation that happens in the state of Texas on Saturdays and on Sundays. People will, they dress up, 
to go to the football stadiums, and they get their hours beforehand, kind of like church, right? Get their hours before. <laughs> Laugh a little bit with me. It's, it's fine. They, they get their hours before kickoff. They fight traffic jams to get the right parking spot. They yell and they chant and they cheer and, and, and they stay through the whole thing until the very end and then they leave and they fight the traffic for hours to get back on the freeway. And, and, and they do all of that and they're called fans. But try to do the, th- the same thing on a Sunday morning and you'd be called a fanatic. Oh, you're just a fanatic. You're going overboard. You're taking it too far. You're going beyond what's really expected. But think about that for a second. Have you thought about the fact that we exalt teams and we raise our hands and we clap and we shout and we yell and there's a lot of celebration going on out there. There's high fives and then we come in here on Sunday all stale and stagnant like, like glo- glory. We- God is a God of order. God is a God who things stay the way they've always been. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We read the King James because that's the version that Paul read. <laughs> Paul didn't have the King James. I was just, just kidding about that. Yeah. But we, 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 we got, it's, it's got to be like this, and we're stale and stagnant. We're not going to lift our voices because I don't, know, I don't want the person next to me to think that I'm a fanatic, that I'm a little charismaniac. I don't want that at all. But listen to me. Listen, I'm going to make a statement. I'm not going to go crazy for some football team out there with coaches and players who don't even know my name and then come in here on Sunday and stay silent before the one who died to save my soul. I will not be quiet. I will exalt the name of Jesus. I will lift him up. I will magnify the Lord because he's worthy. Come on, y'all. What if the sound that came from McNeil Middle School was louder than the Iron Bowl or the Cotton Bowl or the Rose Bowl or the Toilet Bowl or whatever bowl you like? What if we just let the name of Jesus be praised in here today? Come on. Let's lift up Jesus today. Let's exalt the Lord. We lift you up, God. Yes. That's what we do. We exalt him. It's not, not my will, his will. I lift him up. And it reminds me of this song. I exalt thee. Sing it with me if you know it. I exalt thee. I exalt thee. Oh, Lord, thank you, Jesus, we exalt you. I exalt thee. I exalt thee. I exalt thee. That's what we do around here. We exalt the name of Jesus. He's worthy of praise. Woo! Well, the second thing that King Nebuchadnezzar realized, he he said, I'll praise and exalt the Lord, but I will acknowledge God. He said, I will acknowledge God. I, I love it. He says, all his ways are 
just. He's right in everything. I will acknowledge God. I'm going to acknowledge that his way is the best way. I'm going to acknowledge that his word is true. I'm going to acknowledge that he is just and he is right. I'm going to acknowledge that this is his church, not my church. I don't know why he chose me to be the pastor here. I don't know why he picked me out of, middle, out of East Tennessee, out of a family of, of, of people who, who struggled all their lives in a, a line of addiction and, and poverty and all those things. I don't know why he chose me, but he picked me out of that and he put me here. And I'm not going to pretend like my life is perfect and I got it all together. I can tell you God didn't choose me because I was perfect. God didn't choose me because I had everything going on just right because I was innocent. He chose me by the grace of God. That's why I stand here. This is his church. I'll do what he wants. I'll go where he wants me to go. So I acknowledge that, and I acknowledge that, God, if, if, if you wanted to move me from here somewhere else, I'm, I'm going to talk to you about it because I love my job. I love what I'm doing here. I, I tell you all the time, I'm, I don't know how often I tell you, but I try to tell you often, I want to be your pastor for a long, long time. I want to be, this is where I want to be. I want to retire here in Wichita Falls. I love this place. But I acknowledge it's his church. I do what he wants me to do. I do what he calls me to do. Amen? And listen to me. When we live that kind of a life, they can't touch you. Culture can't pull you down. Listen what 1 Corinthians says. Paul says to his people, he says, what are you so puffed up about? Like, like what, what do you have that God hasn't given you? What's the answer? Nothing. So he says, and if all you have is from God, why act as though you have accomplished something on your own? I haven't done anything. This is God's. I didn't cause this church to grow. God caused this thing to grow. I didn't choose Wichita Falls. God chose Wichita Falls. I just followed him. I just said, I'm going with you. I acknowledge you, God. So that's what we do. That's what King Nebuchadnezzar did. He praised and exalted God. He acknowledged God. And then the third thing is this. I'll, I'll humble myself. He understood that God can humble man. And can I just, I want to encourage you this morning. Just want to encourage you. Humility is coming. <laughs> ben, that's not very encouraging. Um, well, I'm positive it's coming. So that, that's, it's, it's going to happen. Humility is on its way. You can initiate it or culture will. You can initiate humility or life will. You can initiate humility or the devil will. You can initiate it or God will. It's going to happen one way or the other. You're going to find yourself in that position. James 4, 7 says, humble yourselves before God. Why? Because he'll lift you up. Humble yourselves and he will lift you up. Don't lift yourself up because the proverb says pride comes before a fall, before destruction. Let God lift you up. Let God restore your kingdom. Let God restore what was stolen. Let God restore what was, what, what was taken from you. But here's your choice. You have two choices when it comes to, to this, to being to, to this. You have two choices. You can, you can choose humility or you can choose humiliation. 
Those are your choices. And it, it's going to be one or the other. C.S. Lewis says that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Pastor Roy Stockstill, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, founder of a great church there, said, he says, a man on his face can never fall from that position. A man on his face, a man humbled before the Lord can never fall from that position. What does that mean? What, what is that about? Well, think about it real quick. That, that a man on his face is dependent on God. A man on his face is desperate for his presence. A man on his face is determined to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. A man on his face is a man driven by humility who says, not my will, your will be done. So here's, here's the last thing I want to give you, and then, and then we'll pray. Standing strong in a, in, an, in a pride inflated culture begins face down begins face down your face on the ground come on would you bow your heads with me today and close your eyes and, and let me just close out by asking you what's the Holy Spirit saying to you today what's he saying what's he whispering to your heart what's he whispering to your life today and as he speaks to you would, would you just would you just ask the Holy Spirit what are you saying I'm going to pray for you Lord we thank you that you are exalted. Not our will, not what we want, but your will be done. God, we exalt you. We acknowledge your way is the right way. We acknowledge that your way is the best way. We humble ourselves. We break off the confusion and the chaos and the, the mentality that's trying to creep in. And we replace it now with the sanity of God. We replace it now with peace that passes understanding and joy unspeakable and full of glory. And God, we, we, we come back to the heart of worship where it's not about us. It's all about you. It's about you, Jesus. It's not about our way and what we want and, and how we do things. It's about your way, God. We repent and we ask you to strengthen us. Help us to know you. Help us to experience you. Help us to have relationship, life-giving relationship with you, Father. With your head bowed, your eyes still closed. Do you? Maybe you're here today and you're struggling. Maybe you're here today and you've, you've been living your own way. And that's what sin is. Sin is your way. But salvation is God's way. Sin is your way, what you want, how you want it. But salvation is God's way. And if you're here today and you say, Ben, I've been doing things my way. I've been living the way I wanted to live. I've been doing things the, the, the way that I saw best, and I've been ignoring God's way. I've, I've, I've been self-righteous. I've taken credit for things, and I'm ready to turn my life over to God. I'm ready to come back to Him with humility and passion and exalt Him and acknowledge that His way is best. I'm ready to repent of my sin. I'm ready to change my mind about it. And on the count of three, if that's you, I want you to slip up your hand right where you are to just say, I'm ready to come back home. One, two, three. Just lift up your hand all across this room. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I see you right there. I see you. Thank you so much in the back. I see you. God bless you. Hands are up everywhere. Thank you for that. Thank you for being bold. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you right here up front. Thank you for that. 
Thank you for your courage. Today, today things can change. Today we repent. We throw off our way to take on God's way. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Just say this with me today. Say, Jesus, I changed my mind. I'm finished with my way. I give you my life. I surrender. Not my will, but your will. I need your presence. I need your strength. I choose to exalt you, to acknowledge you, and to humble myself. I need you as my Savior. Will you be my Lord and my very best friend from this day forward? I'm yours. You're mine. In Jesus' name, amen.